All right. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, so uh, uh, I think uh, since we're in the fast of the nativity, I thought we could talk about the nativity and, and talk a little bit more about a practical uh, implication of the nativity. And so the topic is how the nativity relates to me and um, what the nativity has to do with my own um, personal life and how I can manifest that reality. So in general, uh, a fast, a nativity fast in particular, is really a time to focus less on myself and more on God. And so each fast has its own particular unique focus, right? So Lent is always a time of repentance. That's kind of when we focus on repentance. The Apostles fast is a time to focus less on me and more on God and focus on my service, my ministry. Uh, St. Mary's fast is a time to focus on the virtues of the saints. Um, and then the fast we're going to talk about today is the Nativity fast. And that's a time when we focus on sort of the wonder of, of God's plan and what this whole thing means. So the idea of the fast during the Nativity fast isn't so much about repentance as much as it is about let's just focus more on what God has done for us. Um, and so I want to read to you kind of the thinking about what the Holy Spirit does and what it does for us in relation to the birth of Christ. So um, I'll read you some quotes. The works of the Holy Spirit is that he imparts on man the qualities of Christ himself, namely the laying down of himself, of self-sacrificing self even unto death. And as Jesus said, I have the power to lay it down. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit makes me like Jesus. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. It, it imparts on me the qualities of Jesus. Okay? And that's the work of what the second person of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity does. And so the main function of the Holy Spirit is to transmit to us everything that is Christ's, including this power. So Christ had a particular power. He laid down himself for someone else. This is a very unique thing. It's a very um, amazing thing. And I'll even say it's not a human thing, right? There are very, uh, very limited situations where humans or anyone dies for someone else, right? In fact, one of the strong things we learn in high school bio is about fight or flight, right? We know that whenever my life is threatened, okay, all of a sudden my heart rate goes up, adrenaline starts kicking in, I have to keep myself alive. And that becomes a very strong instinct. And we can all have these grand dreams of how we would behave in a fire or in a flood or in a tornado or in some natural disaster. But what we see on the news is people stomping over other people in order to get out to save their lives, right? This is our instinct. This is what we do, right? So what Christ did is he had this power to lay down his life for someone else Okay, and the job of the Holy Spirit is to give us this power. Um, so, like I said, this is not a natural instinct of humans. Um, okay, so the question about this power of giving up something, in, case, in this case, giving up myself and my life, um, did this happen all of a sudden in Christ's life? Right? Um, and... When Christ laid down his life on the cross, he wasn't seeking his glory, he was seeking God's glory, right? And again, this is a big deal. This is not something that comes to us easily. We like our glory. We like people to recognize us. We like people to know who we are, 
okay? And we don't like it when our glory is taken away. You know, at work, when someone steals your work, it upsets you, right? At, at, at home, when someone takes credit for something. I mean, you know, just the other day, uh, my wife thanked my daughter for emptying the dishwasher. I emptied the dishwasher, right? So I'm just standing there looking at her like, are you just going to stand there and take credit for it? And I, I held myself. I was a very good Christian. I held myself for 15 seconds before I lost it. I'm like, really? You're going to take credit for that? Really? And, and I, because it's like, I did that. And no one asked me. I just did it. Okay? That's massive kudos. And I wasn't about to let my little daughter take credit for that. Okay? Um, let's talk about glory of the Father. Right? So here you have Christ not seeking his glory right, but seeking the Father's glory, right, which is, again, is, is, is hard for us as people. And so the cross itself is this ultimate form of divestment, right, and it's disgrace, it's insult, it's more. What does the word divest to mean, right? So I'll, I'll give you the, the, the dictionary definition, is to deprive or dispossess property, authority, or title, to take away from someone something, their authority, their title, their property, Right? So, so to divest something is to give something up. And what we see in Christ is divestment. He's giving up. He's giving up his glory. He's giving up his will. He's giving up his ego. He's giving up his, his own comfort. He's giving up his life right? for someone else's glory, the Father's in this case. And so we t- tend to divest, uh, excuse me, we tend to focus on this divestment of glory at the cross as Christ's big divestment. If I was to say to you, when was Christ the most humiliated? You'd say, oh, obvious, the cross, right? That's when Christ was the most humble and the most uh, divested of his glory. And the question is, is that the, the time when he gave up the most of his glory? Was it the cross? And the question is, did this power occur all of a sudden, right? Did he start off this way? And so it isn't his first divestment. The cross wasn't when he gave up glory and honor and, and humiliated himself and became naked. I mean, you can imagine being naked, right, in front of a bunch of people. That's part of the humiliation of the cross, right? I mean, if, if we took Embatoedros, right, and we stripped him down of all his clothes and we put him up in front of everybody, it would be so humiliating to him. Right? It's a humiliating act. So we, we didn't do that with Emma Tuedros or the bishop or whoever. We did it with Christ himself. And he lost all his human dignity. Right? All the rights of a, of, a, of a person. But before that cross, before that divestment of his glory, there was a bigger divestment of his glory, of his honor. And so what was this divestment? When did he really give up honor and glory. It wasn't at the cross, right? It was his birth. And that was the real, that was the real moment when Christ gave up everything, when he became a human being. And again, it isn't about that he came into a manger with a donkey and a cow. Okay, that's just cherry on top, right? But the real divestment is when he went from God to man. It's very humiliating, right? And it's ultimately what, why a lot of religions don't like Christianity, right? Because they can't come to this concept that God can become a human being. Like a creator becomes like his creation. And so when God divested to become a man, this is the first and main divestment. This was the big one. And it's also very important, the hidden one. 
And this becomes very important in our spiritual lives because there's two times when Christ really lost his glory. The big public one, right? The cross, when he was shamed and naked and humiliated and crucified and beaten. But the bigger one is standing right across the church from it, which is his birth. And that's the the mysterious one, the hidden one, the private one, the secret one. And so in our spiritual lives, the same is true. Right? Especially when we talk about martyrdom. Right? We celebrate the martyrs and we say, the martyrs, look what they did. They gave up their life for Jesus. Ah, okay. I mean, that's what proved to me that they were pretty good people. But that's not the big deal. That's not why we celebrate them. Right? We celebrate them because before you're going to have that end divestment, the divestment of your life, you've already given up, haven't you? So this martyr didn't start off saying, hey, you can have my life. The martyr started where? You can have my ego. You can have my will. You can have my desires, right? You can have the glory, right? When, when you empty the dishwasher, you can take the glory of emptying the dishwasher. I don't need it, right? So the martyr clearly wouldn't have done what I did with the dishwasher, right? He would have said, yeah, I'll let the daughter have the glory of the dishwasher. And I don't care. I'll give that up. Right? And that's a big one to me, but obviously not to a martyr. And so before you get to the point where you can say, I'll give up life, you have to give up the, the, the glory of the dishwasher, right? And who got to empty the dishwasher. And it starts there, right? Who cleaned this and who did that and who served whom and who started what, right? And these are the little glories that we all like to build up in our own selves and our own hearts. Like, which, which service did I do? And are people going to know what I did? And I kind of want people to know and remember me. Maybe I'll put a plaque on the church so that people remember how much I donated. Are we willing to give that stuff up? Okay. So before you get to give up your life, you got to be willing to give up the plaque on the church that says your name on it, right? You got to be willing to give up the, the glory of people saying, oh, wow, that guy's a great guy, or she's a great person. She serves so much, or he does so much for others. And so when Christ accepted the incarnation in the image of a man, and he, he became a servant, right? And that was the biggie, and that was the hidden one, and that's the more important one, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. So what we find at Christmas time is humility beyond words, right? And, and we, 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 we do this a lot in the church, right? So, you know, every once in a while we'll, we'll, we'll have a, a feast like Palm Sunday, right? And on Palm Sunday... You know, we're saying, ah, oh, Jesus, he's so humble. He rode on a donkey. Isn't he humble? And then the church wants to remind you, right, it isn't about the donkey, okay? It's, the donkey is just the icing, right? It's kind of like the manger, okay? The, the real humility of the birth of Christ wasn't in the manger. It was in the fact that he came down, right? And if he had come down into a palace, the biggest palace on earth, he still would have been the most humble, that would have been the most humble act in the history of earth, Right? And so then the church on Palm Sunday, for example, it repeats something over and over again. Does anyone remember what we repeat over and over? He who sits upon the cherubim rode on a donkey. So now the church is kind of trying to remind you, you know, forget the donkey. Christ was upon the cherubim, and he's riding on a donkey. Right? Now, if I come in on a donkey, they say, oh, look at Archie. He's so humble. He's riding a donkey. He should be riding a horse. I mean, who rides a donkey? Okay, Archie, what a humble guy, right? But this isn't Archie, right? This is he who sits above the cherubim, right? The church is trying to give you a glimpse into who this guy is, 
This isn't just a humble act. This is a, an infinitely humble act, right? It's ridiculously humble, right? And again, it's that hidden humility, that's the key, right? It's not the visible humility that we see on the cross. All right, so what's the real goal of the incarnation? Why did Christ do this? Why did God do this, right? Why, did, why do we go after this word Emmanuel, right? God is with us. And that's where we get this name, Emmanuel, God is with us, right? So what Christ is looking for, what God's looking for is a true unity, a true friend. He even called his disciples friends. He said, unless you lay down your life for your friends. So is God calling us to be friends? Yeah, he is, right? And a true brother in everything we do and share with us, and, and we talked about in the sermon last time, someone who shared all of the things I've gone through, someone who's been betrayed, someone who's been tempted, someone who's been hurt, someone who's been stabbed in the back, someone who's been belittled, someone who's been humiliated, ostracized from the community. You name it, he had it. You name it, he had it. And so he wants to share with us in everything. So he comes down and he says, I want to be with you in all of these things. I want to share with you in all of these things. And so when he, t- when he comes down, this is what we say in the Theotokeia on during Kiak. We say he took what is ours and gave us what is his. Right? So there's a swap. He takes what's ours, our human nature, and he gives us, as St. Peter says, partakers of divine nature. So this swap is very interesting, and I want to talk, talk and think practically about what this swap means. What does it mean he took what's mine and gave me what is his? So last week, uh, during the sermon, several people commented about this quote I read from Abu Nabshuri Kamif, so I kind of want to read it again. George, could you just tell them to, like, you know, for those of you in the American church, that means respect yourselves a little bit. Okay. Um, so Abu Nabshuri Kamil, he, he, he gives this sermon, and it just, I, I got it from one of the youth, and it just blew my mind. He says, what do we consider bad in a person? So now he's, he's questioning the whole good-bad thing. Is it a person's sensual cravings, base instincts, desires? For those of you who speak Arabic, shahwa, right? The lust, the desire of the flesh. All these in, um, uh, innate, uh, uh, inherent drives that are in us. In actuality, people's capacity to desire is the most beautiful thing about human, about being human for the following reason. So he wants to say that this capacity this, this desires, this is what makes us people, right? And in fact, we, we know this to be true, right? If we say that, you know, um, we can't say any of these lusts of the body are evil, right? I mean, the, 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 a sexual lust, that's not inherently evil, right? If people didn't have sexual lust, there would be no humans around, right? And if we didn't have the lust of food and the desire to eat, we'd starve to death, right? So, but if we take these things and we make them we go too far, right, then, then the desire to eat becomes gluttony and the desire to have sex is, becomes a sexual addiction and the desire for whatever becomes something that, that the devil warps into something, you know, worse. So he continues, he says, a person without these cravings and desires cannot logically desire, crave, or want God's love. A wholesome individual, so now he's going to make fun of wholesome people. Thank goodness. A wholesome individual without desire reflects a weak spiritual relationship with God, and he or she will likely show weakness when responding to his calls. So he's saying, you know, if you get one of these people like, okay, yeah, I love Jesus, eh, I guess no good. We want someone fiery, 
someone who has these desires, a strong will. We know that St. Moses the Strong was also extremely aggressive in his evil ways. Nevertheless, he was just as aggressive in his repentance to God. Truly, Christianity today needs people who are strong-willed, persistent in performing God's service, and passionate about living out their Christian walk. The Lord's commandments are not easy. So I'll stop there. If you look at St. Moses' personality, it didn't change. You look at St. Paul's personality after conversion, it didn't change. God doesn't change us. He doesn't make us into something uh, different than we were before. He purifies what we are, right? You, you know, you, you look at the story of the, the sinful woman, right? And what did the sinful woman do? She poured perfume on Jesus' feet. She washed them with her hair, and she kissed them, right? And she asked for, repent, for forgiveness, right? Now think about those things, what are those things, right? What was she before? She's a prostitute. And the prostitute does what? I'm sure that perfume that she dumped on him was what? Perfume she used to put on herself to make herself more attractive, right? And her hair is her glory. And I'm sure she used her hair to seduce men. And her kisses that were used on her trade were now used for the glory of Christ. So she took the things that she used in her trade as a prostitute, kisses and perfume and her hair, and she used them towards Christ, right? So Christ converted them and said, we're going to aim all those things, and now we're going to redefine them, right? So St. Moses the Black has this, this personality, Augustine, all the, 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 the sinful people of the, the really bad people, same personality. And what he's saying is to Christianity today, and he's talking about the 1960s, but today it's even more true, requires strong-willed, persistent people, passionate about living out their Christian walk. The Lord's commandments are not easy. You have to be into it. You have to be aggressive. You have to be strong-willed. Who but the stubborn, courageous, and unordinarily, and, un, and unordinary can successfully follow him? So he says you have to be stubborn, right? And we see this even like, you know, when I talk to teenagers and we talk about rebellion, Rebellion is a perfectly natural part of being a human being, right? In fact, it's a good thing. If you look at Jesus, Jesus was a rebel. And in fact, you look at a lot of the saints, rebels. St. Athanasius, you know, he has this great line, and, and he was the patriarch, and everyone hated him. He got exiled. Do you guys know how many times St. Athanasius got exiled? Five times they exiled him. Can you imagine being the pope and being exiled by the emperor? And he just looked at him and says, oh, I don't care. I'm not changing. And at one point, they said to him, Athanasius, the world is against you. And you know, he said, I'm against the world. Stubborn, right? These are the characteristics of a Christian, right? These are the characteristics of what it takes to be a Christian. And so he continues, so have you sinned? Oops, oh boy. No idea what just happened there. I'll try it this way. Yeah, it's not good. Whose kid's that? Actually, his, her, his mom just left. There it is. That kid's, that's, those are the same kids. That's right. All right, so let me continue. He says, so have you sinned? Oh, good. 
That's just, just beachy. Uh, I'm going to go back. I'm going to open in PowerPoint. I got this, George. Baby, I got this. You know what I'm saying? Uh, social hall. Oops. There it is. What I don't know is how to put it into, look at this, I just talked trash and now I can't. How do I put it into presentation mode? Is this presentation mode? There it is. Okay. All right. He says, so have you sinned? Your sins and weaknesses are the very superpowers that enable you to draw near to God. I ask you again, what bad exists in people? And he put bad in quotes. Look at the way he phrased that. Your sins are superpowers. Your sins are the very superpowers that enable you to draw near to God. I ask you again, what bad exists in people? What's he saying? There is no bad. Rather that rather than scrutinize what about about what I lack or what I do wrong, I should ask the Lord to transform those bad qualities into good. The struggles we abhor and feel embarrassment over are the means by which we can best serve him. So your exact characteristics are what we use to serve God. God made you this way. The body of Christ is weakened when people such as these choose not to return to God. Again, so we, he takes what is ours and gives us what is his. So he takes my what? My stubbornness, my anger, my whatever, and he turns it into him, into service for him. That's, that's the exchange, right? And I get to keep my personality because my personality doesn't change. My characteristics don't change, right? But now they're sanctified, and now they're, they're aimed at a righteous cause, So I want to, I know the kids are going to be coming back soon, so I'm just going to end quickly. So this concept comes in when we see Christ, you know, at the, at the, when Lazarus died, we hear that Christ groaned in the spirit. And there's other times in the gospels when, when someone would be sick and Christ would groan. And I heard this beautiful sermon by Bunalua a little while back, and he said, what was that groan? What was he groaning about? And he said at that moment, he took his death. He took Lazarus's death. Or when he healed someone, he took that person's sickness. He took it himself. And so the, the work of Christ wasn't limited to the cross when all everything happened on the cross and he took all our sins, then he died for our sins. No, the work of Christ was all throughout his life. He took other people's pain and he suffered for the other people. Elder Paisius tells about this story about this girl who came to him. It's in his, uh, in his book. Could someone close the door in the back, please? Um, it, in his book, he talks about this girl that came to him and said, my mom has cancer. Can you pray that God heal my mom? And she's a, he's a miracle worker. And he said, I'll tell you what, how about this? How about we pray that you get your mom's cancer? And she's like, no, no, wrong prayer. What, what I'm looking for is you need to fix her cancer. And he goes, well, you're strong, you're healthy, you love your mom, right? Don't you want to take cancer instead of your mom? Don't you want her to be better and you get the cancer? He's pushing her a little bit. And she's like, no, 
I want to pray that she not have cancer and I not have cancer. And so then he said, well, how about this? How about we pray and uh, we'll pray 50-50. I'll take half the cancer, you take half the cancer. And then your mom will be better. She's like, you're not understanding me. I don't want anyone to have cancer. I don't want you to have cancer and I don't want to have cancer. I want her to not have cancer. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll pray that I take 99% of the cancer and you take 1% of the cancer. And she walked away. Well, eventually he prayed and her mom was healed of cancer. And when she asked him, what did you do? He said, I prayed to take all the cancer. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to take it. Now, that act is very Christ-like, isn't it? Take what is mine and give me what is yours. I want to take your sickness, your weakness, your what? Death. I'll take it all. All of the negative characteristics and attributes of being a human being. I'll tell you guys another story. Abunab Shoyal Antoni, he's this cute, super cute little monk. He came and spoke to us before uh, a couple of times. And he tells this story. This story gives me goosebumps every time I, I tell it. But he said he went to a hospital and this Tita was there and she was, you know, dying. And um, the family was just, just in grieving like crazy, uncontrollably crying. And you know, he's like, I mean, she's an old lady, right? I mean, you know, like, you know, and, and they're like, Tita can't go, and the little kids are crying, and everyone's crying, everyone's really sad. So like, Abuna, can you pray for her? So he said, I stood behind her, and so her head's here, and she's facing that way. Her eyes are closed, she's in a coma. And he just kind of puts his hand on her pillow, and he starts praying. And he prays, he says, God, I'm just a monk. I don't really need, have any family. No one cares if I'm dead or alive. Just take me. Just take me instead of her, right? Because she obviously has a lot of people that care about her and love her, and they don't want her to die right now. So just take me. Look at the prayer. What's he saying? I want to die on her behalf instead of her. It's very what? Christ-like. Now, the end of the story is a little scary. Um, so he's off to her left side, right? And... He's saying this prayer, and he's not saying it audibly, of course, right? They just think he's saying a psalm or something. And he's got his eyes closed, and he's praying this prayer. This woman's in a coma. She opens her eyes, turns to the left. He's behind her, and she says, no, it's my turn. You're not going. It's me. He's, I'm going to heaven. And closes her eyes again. And he freaked out, as did everybody in the room. He really freaked out because, they, you know, they didn't know what, he was praying about, and they didn't know what she was talking about. So she turned to him. She heard his prayer in her coma, turned and said, no, I'm the one who's going to go, not you. So what I love about this story is what he, what he felt, right? I wish I could take what you're going through, right? This is the incarnation. Christ comes down and says, I want to take it instead of you. Right? And sometimes even when we, when we think about things in the church like confession, and you know, when we talk to the youth about confession, we tell, talk to them about it in all the wrong way. Right? We say, you have to confess your sins. If you don't confess your sins and you forget something, God's going to send you to hell, and you have to remember everything, write it down on a piece of paper. That's not the point of confession. Right? So when we think about what confession is, we have to think about what does sin do to us? What does it do to us? It makes us feel guilty. It makes us feel horrible. 
right? We do something we, we're embarrassed of, we regret, we're, we're bothered by, right? And we remember those sins, right? If anyone tells us, can you remember a sin that you've committed recently that you haven't confessed, you can think of 10 right off the top of your head, right? Why? Because they're, they're there, they bug you. And so the church comes along and says, you know what? I know you feel bad. And so what we're going to do is we're going to give you a mechanism that you can get rid of that guilt. Take the sin and dump it. And when you talk about what the sin is doing to me, right? Some people even use these words. Like you'll hear about someone who confesses to a murder 20 years after the crime was unsolved, right? They come back into the police station and they're like, I did that murder in 1975. Here's my fingerprints. You can check. I did it. And they're like, you know, we closed that case 30 years ago. Why are you confessing? And they'll say, I can't take it anymore. I can't handle the guilt. I can't handle knowing I've done something and it's eating me up inside. In fact, I'll use another word, it's killing me. It's killing me. And so that's what sin does. It kills us from the inside out. And so what Christ does is he says, take that sin and do what? Dump it on me and kill me instead. I'll die instead. Kids are here. Right, so that's the, that's the way we think about confession. Right? Christ says, take all that stuff that's eating you up inside, dump it on me, and let me die for it. Let me, let it, I, I want you to die for it instead of me. All right, so I'll, I'll read you this last story. I've read this story so many times, but I just love it, so I'll read it one more time. This is from St. Faustina. It says, During meditation, the sister on the kneeler next to me, next to mine, kept coughing and clearing her throat. And you all know how annoying this can be. During COVID, we'd like throw a mask on her and say, get out of the, get out of the room. Sometimes, without a break, it occurred to me that I might take another place for the time of the meditation because mass had just begun. So you can imagine the nun next to you is coughing uncontrollably. It's very annoying, right? And you just want to move. So she thought, I'll just move and go to a different spot, okay, so that I don't get annoyed by the coughing. That's reasonable. But listen to her thinking. But then I, th I, I thought that if I did change my place, the sister would notice this and feel hurt that I moved away from her. So she didn't want to move because she didn't want to hurt the sister's feelings. So... I decided to continue in prayer in my usual place and to offer this act of patience to God. Okay, I want to stop here. This is really, really, really important. Many times we absorb the weaknesses of others, not for their sake. In fact, for all the married couples out there, you never do it for the person's sake. You always absorb it for Christ. And so what she said is she decided to offer the coughing and the annoying. She offered that to God and said, this is my offering today. I'm going to sit here and I'm just going to take it. And I'm not going to move because that'll hurt her feelings. It's beautiful. What did she do? She took on the pain of her neighbor. Neighbor's coughing and she just took it and tried to help the neighbor as much as she could. And the only thing she can do, she didn't have a, a cough, you know, a, a cough drop. All she could do is not make her feel bad that she was coughing. 
That's all she could do. That's all she had. And she offered it. She took it. She absorbed it. And she paid the price for it. So I decided to continue in prayer in my usual place and to offer this act of patience to God. And believe me, this is really what relationships are all about. Toward the end of the meditation, and I want, to, I want you to hear how she describes it. Toward the end of the meditation, my soul was flooded with God's consolation. And this to the limit of what my heart could bear. Can you imagine? My soul was flooded and my heart couldn't bear any more of God's grace. And the Lord gave me to know that if I had moved away from my sister, I would have moved away also from those graces that flowed into my soul. It's beautiful. This is the incarnation. This is what Christ did. He came down and he took what is ours, our brokenness, our ugliness, our sins. And as we say in Corinthians, he became sin so that I could become righteousness. Anybody have any questions? I think all the kids are done. So I had like 70 more slides. I made them at 5 o'clock this morning, so they're not very good. But uh, any other questions, comments? Let me see if I have any good quotes for you. Yeah, there's no chance I can get through this. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, I'll stop there. Any other questions, comments? Okay. Glory be to God forever. Amen. We can stand and pray. Make us worthy to say with all thanksgiving, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us for trespasses. We have confessed. Lead us.